the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence, the big silence. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Goldstein, and here's my co-host, Karina Don. Back up, Bobby. What? what? <laughs> Don't try to take I me thought over. you just asked me to take over the podcast. No, I did not. I'm pretty sure you just said, Bobby, your talents are undeniable, and I would like you to host our podcast. And here mm-hmm. I am. Thank uh, you. Thank you for having it. me. I'd like to thank my sponsor, Jim Wheat. Uh, this week, I'm matching Longhorn Orange here. Go UT. Hook them horns. So, yeah. Woo-woo. Let's do okay. it. This is the issue. Do you have a significant Hmm. other, husband, who only listens to half of what you say? No, I don't. But I have a wife who's... I don't even think she listens to half of what I say. (laughs) You don't listen. Okay. I saw this meme where like women talk twice as much as men because they always have to repeat themselves. I mean, if you saw it and it was a meme and I, (laughs) it's got to be true. I can't say anything about that. (laughs) Anyways, welcome to the Big Silence Podcast with my intro co-host, Bobby Goldstein. Mm -hmm. What's happening? It is a Friday here. And what are you most excited about today? Today? For today? Yeah. Um, We're going on a boat. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do a little wake surfing, getting ready for those 20-footers in Cabo. Yes, we Mm -hmm. are going to Cabo in two days. That's what I'm most excited about today. We're winding down the workday and summer Fridays here for us. Yeah. And what? No, I was just thinking of that story you told me yesterday where you're like, oh, I used to serve big waves. And there was a day, you ask my dad, there was only two people out in El Porto. That's in Manhattan Beach, if anyone's listening. And you said, my dad will tell you, there was two people out and this one guy thought he could just cut me off. So what I did, I took the wave and I rode right around him all the way up, coming down. The, it made it sound like this thing was like a 35-footer. Yeah, I think it was 50-foot. Wow. <laughs> it was during a storm. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, I got nothing to say, but I'm I'm really pumped to see you on Big Tuesday down in Cabo. <laughs> uh, aside from that, so, <laughs> don't. Hey, I'm going to prove you right. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> what else are you excited about? Are you going to um, read anything when you're down there? Yeah, I think so. I brought you a book. Oh, I, I thought maybe I, maybe it's time. Uh, excuse time. You haven't finished the Big Silence by Karina Dawn. There's only so many chapters I can personally take, and then like I have to separate from it and go back and and read another. But I've basically read the whole book more than once. But now I just need to collectively go back for probably about the last four chapters. I know. I didn't let Bobby read it until I know. it was finished. I would read certain things during the five-year writing process. But once it was like nailed down and I was just doing edits, I was like, you're not allowed to read it. No more feedback. Like this You is handed it. me this book over here. Is this another sponsor for me? Because <laughs> I can definitely set up, have sponsor row over here for me. You should. All right. <laughs> so today's episode, I'm very excited to have Lindsay Morgan. Yeah. She's cool. She's cool. And her fiance is very cool. Mm -hmm. They live here in Austin. And we met them through mutual friends. Awesome people. And Lindsay came by. So if if you don't already know who she is, she is a film and television actress and a director. You may know her from CW's The Walker or The Hundred. And she's got a lot to say. She's a mental health advocate and... She, for many, many years, used to say that she was afraid to talk about her struggles. Mm -hmm. And she's done a lot of inner work lately and over the years, but especially lately. And she wanted to come share her journey with you so that everyone makes some noise, doesn't feel alone. I love this. And we talked. You sure did. And I was just listening to what you were saying. I was like, that's kind of sounds like the, uh, the mission of the big silence too. Yeah. Yeah. Make some noise, talk about it. Everything's good. Yeah, she's brilliant. She's very open. And mm. I appreciate having her sit here for the longest podcast yet on the big silence. And I think we we could do another one because there's so much to talk about. So um, I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you like it and you think a friend would enjoy hearing it or benefit from hearing it, please share with them. And also, as always, on Apple Podcasts, if you can like or comment, that helps us to raise awareness and break the silence together. So, see you on the flip. You're a fantastic co-host. I just wanted to let you know. Thank you. Thanks for having me, everybody. Bye-bye. All right. Okay. Welcome back. <laughs> Lindsay Morgan. <laughs> I think we gotta, I gotta be honest and tell everyone. I came on the big silence and had a podcast with Karina in March. It was mm -hmm. in March. Yeah. It was in March. And I asked her to pull it. I felt like I had shared too much and shared very vulnerable aspects of my life. And at that point in my life, I felt like, okay, I'm done with this healing crap, whatever, it's behind me let's move on. And I, after I talked to you, <laughs> I just got handed from the from God and the universe, just like my ass and being like, you're not done healing at all, babe. You're just beginning. And, you know, it was a 
it was a good motivator because the fear I felt of being judged or of being found out or of being thought of as lesser or, you know, stigmatized is exactly mm-hmm. why we have this, exactly why we talk about it. It's, it's exactly why it's so important. And also it launched me into really being aware of, oh my gosh, I'm having all these anxious feelings and thoughts about that. I need to really, like, really dig deep and get into some healing. And so now, what, I guess like four months later, five months later? Yeah. 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 I've been on a journey. Yeah. And <laughs> and I, I finally feel like I can share openly and um, confidently, you yeah. know? I love that. You texted me just this past yeah. Sunday morning. And you're like, I'm ready. I'm ready, babe. <laughs> I was like, come on in. You like, welcomed me with open arms. Like Thursday, come on <laughs> over. So I'm so excited to have you here. You know, I was re-listening to the podcast that we filmed that we are not putting out, and I can see already the change mm-hmm. and the vulnerability. And I I haven't talked to Lindsay about all of her experience mm-hmm. and what she's been going through. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, and so are your peeps. That follow you, your my fans, peeps, my friends. Oh, I, I my got fans. a, I oh, got a DM yesterday. Oh, what? So I, no one I, knows I'm doing this. No, I know, <laughs> but it must have been something in March. Like we op- uploaded a story or something. Oh, yeah, probably. And tagged you in the studio, and a fan group DM'd and said, "When is Lindsay's podcast coming out?" And I was like, "Oh, very soon." Actually, whoa, that's weird. Yeah. Whoa. Well, hey guys, <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's, it's coming here. now. It's here. <laughs> it's coming now. Uh, so before we dive into all of your experience and your growth and your life lessons, um, I love that you're from Houston mm-hmm. and then we went to UT, mm-hmm. which is in Austin, in case nobody oh, yeah. realizes. Austin. We're which, in Austin. Which we are at. <laughs> yeah. We are in Austin sweating because it's 105 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> Don't mind the, yeah. the drips. Um, which isn't even the hottest day of, of this week. Like It was like 111 on Monday. Isn't that crazy? Austin, we love you, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> We're surviving. Um, but yeah, I want to go back to, um, so you went getting into mm-hmm. your career mm-hmm. where you are now, because I think that's a really fun story. Yeah. Um, and how you got there into Hollywood. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, it's so funny. I'm like, what? I guess it doesn't matter what I said before. <laughs> no. I'll give you a, fr- a refresh. So yeah, so I was, I was, uh, Born in Georgia originally, and then raised in Houston, and I grew up my whole life in Houston. And then I was going to college, and I went to college at UT in Austin here. And, um, you know, I kind of was, I was a kid that was like, I was good at a lot of things, but like great at nothing. Like there was not one thing that I was like, that's me. Um, I had so many different interests. And like I said, just good at them. I wasn't great at any of it. But I was all over the place with like swimming and water polo and debate and like newspaper. And I love theater arts. I love visual arts, like just everything. And so when I was going to college, I had made a lot of, um, spent a lot of time like debating. Like I was on a city team for Houston and we mentored like Latino youth about different ways of debate, like cross-examination or mock trial. And that was a really, really big part of my life. And so I thought I was going to be like a lawyer. I really thought 
or like a social worker or something in like a political stream. So when I was going to college, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll major in political science. And then, but I still wasn't sure. I wasn't like bought yet. And so I was like, well, maybe like journalism or like broadcast journalism because I was a, I worked for the newspaper in high school. And then my like job, like how I made money at UT is I worked for the newspaper, the Daily Texan at UT Mm -hmm. as a reporter and a designer. (laughs) And so that was my plan. And then I remember I was in a play at school and I just like had this epiphany while I was getting ready, like putting on my makeup because you have to put on your own makeup for like theater. I had like a small part. I had, so I would try out for the plays every year in high school. Never got cast. Ugh. I was like, that's okay. Number one. That's like to be rejected that young and be like, you're not good enough for the school play. I think, (laughs) I actually think that served me. Yeah. Afterwards, which because, and we'll get into that, but like, yeah, not good enough for the school play ever. (laughs) I think I was the understudy for, oh my gosh, like, two solid years straight. I couldn't, I couldn't get arrested. Like <laughs> I got like the chorus role. I got like bum number two. <laughs> like it was terrible. Um, but you know, it just showed the guy had a lot of learn, but I didn't know what I was doing. But the fact is I really like loved it and enjoyed it. And I also was shy. Like I had some stage fright. And I remember being, especially in high school, feeling that way. But I was, I admired actors so much. I remember my mom had taken me to like a musical to see at the Alley Theater in Houston when I was like seven. We saw Big. Remember that Tom Hanks movie? Yeah. yeah. It's so good, right? The piano, <laughs> loved it. And I remember being like struck in the audience at seven and just being like, how? How do they do this? Like, and the, the word that came to me was brave. Like they are so brave to just be out there in front of all these people like doing that and expressing themselves. And, um, you know, what I also realized too is like my household and where and how I grew up wasn't very expressive. Like in our family, we kind of just didn't talk about things and Mm -hmm. brushed under the rug. And, um, you know, I was always a very like creative kid and very artistic and sensitive. (laughs) Had a lot of emotions. (laughs) But I didn't know what to do with them, you know? So I think that's why I did all these things too, to like excess energy. Anyways, and so I was in a school play and I was applying to college and it was all kind of crazy, especially getting to college was a little crazy for me because I had to go on like scholarships. I couldn't afford it. And so I was like, okay, well, I do that. I can do that. And, you know, other things happened, but I was getting ready and I looked in the mirror and I just had this epiphany. And the epiphany was like, oh, if I did this for the rest of my life, I'd be, I'd have fun. I'd be happy. Like that was all I got was fun, happy. So I changed my, one of my majors and decided to double major in theater and, um, and poli sci. And then I think it shocked everybody. You know what I mean? Like nobody was like, they're like, babe, you were bum number two. Like, maybe you don't major in this. <laughs> maybe you don't like do this. But then when I got to college, I started feeling really, really disillusioned with the journalism, with the, the politics of things. And so, you know, and I feel that kind of way generally about media and like where we are in the world with media. And so 
my perspective on it is like, you know, stay informed, but like hear both sides. Like don't just be in an echo chamber of perspective because A, how are you going to learn? B, you're really not that informed because you're only, you know, 50% like hearing the perspective or opinion. And also it's not just 50-50. There's a lot of opinions out there. There's a lot of different takes on it and different perspectives. And I just think knowledge is power. So why limit yourself and then form your own opinion based on what you learn? Yeah. So anyways. Yeah. And going to that too, I'm very, I always say like open to everyone. Yes. And non-judgment. Like totally. Yeah. So. And so, yeah. So even in that time period when I was in college, I still was just like, you know, that's fine. That's like, that's, where we are with journalism right now or this establishment. And that's just not what I wanted to do, you yeah, know? so you were like, this is not for me. This is not for me. you're like, you I wanted your feel, career to bring happiness. Yes, so you were in and I didn't search feel honest either. Yeah, and honest. Honesty, yeah. yeah. And so then, and same with the politics too, or, you know, working with that, I started just getting really disillusioned. And so then I was like, I'm just going to do theater, theater arts. <laughs> <laughs> Again, shocked everyone. My mom was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop it. But, you know, again, I had kind of a crazy way getting into college, but I had like earned this scholarship and like a full ride. And um, thankfully, because I wouldn't have been able to go because I couldn't afford it. And I decided, I was like, well, you know, if technically I earned the scholarship to get me here, I'm going to pursue what I want to do mm-hmm. and what's like really calling to me. And so then... That led me on that path. But then once again, I'm still not a good actor. Like people need to realize, like I'm still in theater. <laughs> I'm still getting cast as bum number two. Like I'm not good. Like that And just you're means, like, I'm inspired mom and dad. I'm going I'm to Hollywood. Going for it. <laughs> and they're like, you're yeah. nobody. You're going nowhere. <laughs> and so like I was, you know, I wasn't the high school star. I wasn't the big talent from my hometown, which in college, everyone is, you know, from their hometown or their high school. And, you know, everyone has these like resumes of what they've done. And I'm like, bum number two, you know, (laughs) like it was humiliating. (laughs) But um, I was passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, you know, this is such an expressive art form. And at the end of the day, I was like, what really matters? What like really, really matters? You know, science matters. Saving, like fixing cancer matters for sure. But also I was like, human connection matters. And expressing oneself and especially for someone who grew up in a, like I said before, in a household that wasn't very expressive. I was like, well, this is so beautiful. Like this art form is for people to be true to themselves and connect with one another and also tell story of the human experience. Yeah, and I want to point out too, because I'm an artist as in like paint. Right, right. Acting Visual art is an art form. Yes. It's not hugely. just going out there and be like, oh. And like, you know, yeah. a lot of people do do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I always felt like to me, acting was the desire to, or for like true acting for me. Because I feel like, you know, you've got entertainers mm-hmm. that are like, they're, they're showmen, you know, yeah. they're there, they, they get the gag, they're doing it, they're about it, they're entertaining. And then there's like actors, like a Daniel Day-Lewis or like a Meryl Streep or, mm-hmm. you know, pe- these people who are these wonderful talents who aren't really like saying, look at me, you know, they're just expressing the truth of that character and that story. And so I always feel like great mm-hmm. acting is having that, that huge desire to be seen 
but not having anyone look at you. You know, you're not just like, I'm on display to be on display. It's like, no, this is just my truth. And so that's what I loved about acting. And that's what I really loved when I was in college, which is, you know, a little like naive and whatnot. But I, I still, I look back on it and I admire that girl because, you know, she felt something true in her heart and her soul. And took a risk. And took a fucking risk. And took a risk that people were like, girl, <laughs> like, you can't go to Hollywood and make it. You're so bummed number two. Much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was bummed number two for a while. <laughs> no, but even like, um, you know, in the fitness industry, which is... Oh, everything. You know, it's Every like, industry. oh, it's oversaturated. You're not going to... But if you don't take the risk, and this is the takeaway with that. Yeah. If you don't take the risk, then you never know and you may have a regret. If you don't take the risk and you're not true to yourself, yeah. you know, because I was in these other spheres that I was good at, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I had this background. I'm good at this. But it wasn't making me happy. And yeah. it wasn't what I was passionate about. So I was like, I can't keep, I can't do my whole life like this. So then yeah. when I discovered acting, it was like, okay, I have this desire. I have this this drive. I have this passion. And I'm going to kind of go for it. And I had, you know, I had like really interesting people along the way that gave me enough confidence or gave me enough like help or mentorship or like a boost in the right direction that helped that I felt like were signs, you know, Mm -hmm. like signs from God and the universe of being like, keep going. And what I think is so funny or very interesting in my journey was that Austin was a city where I decided to pursue acting, where I was like, you know what, I'm not going to do the I don't know, the, I'm not going to do what everyone thinks I should do. I'm not Mm going to do this stable job. I'm not going to do what my mom wants me to do or what my dad thinks I should do, what my friends are doing. Like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I remember being in the city and like taking runs around Town Lake in the middle of the city off of campus and being like, can I actually do this? And so it's so crazy to me that I have returned back to this city, you know, almost 11 years later and uh and I've done it you know yeah so I dropped out of college we didn't get to that part oh yeah well we've talked about this I'm a two-time college dropout yeah look at you and again Mecca we're not not advocating this (laughs) education is so important and so valuable and you know I'm like the biggest nerd so I I actually loved college and took like 18 hours a week and because I really enjoyed it I really loved learning but basically, on my journey, I got this like internship to like intern with this company in LA for like a summer. And when I got to LA, I was like, oh, this is where I should be. You know, I was like, things, are, things are happening. Nothing was happening. <laughs> but like… I'm number two. Yeah. I was like, in, <laughs> right? In my head, I was like, things are happening. But what was interesting was when I was in LA, I was learning so much. I was learning things that I wasn't learning in college and back in Austin. And so, you know, I felt like for me, deciding to leave college and essentially drop out and go to LA and um, pursue acting wholeheartedly was the right move for me. Because again, you know, I'm going against these people or these… I remember I had an audition. I got like a manager and everything. And I got an audition. I was I was like… I looked at my life and I was like, Okay, Lindsay, if this is what you're really going to do, you got to be a little realistic. We're all trying to get a job. We're making these auditions. And you're going against people that have years and 
projects on the resume and you have bum number two. Like, <laughs> you need mm-hmm. to get it together. So I, um, I had this one professor who was really great in college and he was, uh, and he sat me down and, uh, cause we'd have these like year evaluations and he sat me down and he was like, you ever tried film acting? Like, it was like the first question out of the evaluation. And I was like, no, not really. It's like, I think you should pursue that. And I, a part of me was like, is that because I really suck <laughs> at this and you're being nice to me? Or is that something you think I, you know, could really benefit from it? But I remember it really stuck with me. And so I started taking like film classes, like in Austin. That was my first like on-camera experience. And I remember I would walk across campus and cut through the Capitol building lawn to get to my class right on Congress at the Paramount Theater. And so, yeah. And so then it's like, I kept meeting these like people and teachers that kept pushing me a little bit here, there. And then I had this internship in LA and, you know, and that was interesting. Oh, and then eventually I got this audition for Friday Night Lights, which was like the big show that was shooting here in Austin. And it was their last season. And I Were you in that? No. I did play cheerleader. Cheerleader number two. I did do that. But this is what really gave me like the confidence to make the move and to make one of the hardest decisions of my life. I got this audition for this role for a series regular. And a series regular is like the means main cast, you know? And so it was the last season and they were adding in a new character for the main cast. And her name was Epic Sanders. And I did this audition and I didn't know what I was doing. And I got a call back and I like met the producers and I met Peter Berg. And again, I have nothing on my resume except bum number two and like a cheerleader number two. Cheerleader number two now. And like a student film. Nothing. And um, we kept going. And so I kept having these auditions and it got down to me and this one other actress who's from LA who again was like very established. And I remember just being like, what is happening? Like, why am I here? <laughs> like, I was so confused. But, you know, ultimately the role went to her, but it gave me enough confidence to be like, oh my God, I can actually do this. Yeah. Like, I could do this if I really tried. So I was like, okay, you know, there wasn't a lot filming in Austin at the time. And I felt like if I want to be a fisherman, I need to go where the fish are, right? And so that was when I made the biggest, one of the biggest decisions of my life at that point is to forgo my college scholarship, let go of all my education, leave all my friends and family behind, move to LA, giant city, new city, try this crazy mm. career that I have no experience, no credits for, except mom number two and your number two. And how old are you? I was 20. Yeah. I was 20. I moved to LA at 18. Really? Like, yeah. Oh. Wow, right? I'm like, oh, that was fun. That <laughs> was nuts. <laughs> 18 to 21. Like, it was like right after like Titanic came out and I would go to the club and like Leonardo was over there. Oh, I didn't have like, that experience. Oh. That's great. <laughs> like that was when like Paris Hilton was at her socialite oh, prom. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I had like Chris Brown at the club. That was okay. like my experience. Yeah. And get Leo. Uh, yeah. That's a big one. It's yeah. a whale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's big fish. <laughs> I mean, fresh off from Indiana, that was a big oh, fish. It's <laughs> uh, still a big fish. <laughs> yeah. This is a whale. But, you know, my mom was like very upset. Still kind of upset to this day. And I remember it was tough because I felt like I didn't have her support. I didn't really have my dad's support. I felt very alone. 
And, you know, when I look back on it, it's like, I understand my parents' point of view now. Like, that's a, that's scary for their child to be like, bye education, bye full ride, bye home I grew up in, everyone I know, I'm going to this crazy place that are full of crazy people and pursuing a career that only, at any given point, I was told this is this statistic. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one. <laughs> at any, I still can't pronounce entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. It's okay. <laughs> we'll work together. <laughs> we'll sound it out. But I was told like at any given instance, um, the statistic <laughs> damn it <laughs> of any working actor at all time and of like uh of like all the like pool of yeah. actors is three percent. Mm. And that's just like a crazy odd. Like the yeah. odds are not in your favor <laughs> yeah. to do this. And I had again just enough like belief and enough passion and enough naivete. I don't know what it I mean People ask me, they're like, what What do you think it is? And I really think it was just, I believed in what I was doing. I believed mm-hmm. that it was a really be- beautiful and connective art form. And especially for me, who didn't feel like I ever got to express that way, it was revolutionary for me to kind of open up and tap into my emotions and get to kind of like funnel it and get to be part of these stories that, um, again, like I think storytelling is so important to our culture and our society. Like, I feel like, you know, when you're growing up, life is chaotic. Like, you just, like, don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what to do. And so we as people, like, our species, we love stories. And we love stories about others because it, I feel it helps us understand ourselves better and understand our life. Well, that's why we have the big silence. And that's why I'm so happy that you're here just being so open and, you know, probably going to be a, a long podcast. So I'm so <laughs> I was excited. like, I forgot how long the beginning was. <laughs> I started to speed it up and then I was like, wait. No, but, but okay, so I'm curious, mm-hmm. backing up to you growing up, what was your home life like? And because I know, and we're going to share about mm-hmm. your current mental health situation and your mm-hmm. growth and this journey. But can you share a little bit of growing up at home? Because I realize the more people that I talk to on the podcast mm-hmm. and interview that we really have like a very similar upbringing mm-hmm. and we don't talk about it. Well, I think there's a lot of shame and a lot of fear, you know, for me personally. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but like my father is an alcoholic and, you know, there's there was substance abuse in my home when I grew up in my childhood too. And um, my parents divorced at nine, which was hard for me because it was very kind of earth shattering. And my dad kind of moved on with his life very quickly and started a new family very quickly across the country. And so I felt very abandoned by him, you know. And as the years went by and I feel like his disease got worse, we kind of thought maybe there's something more there, you know, maybe he's bipolar. We're not sure. But there felt like there seemed to be something that he was suffering from. And what I learned in my journey was that, you know, when you have a family member that is, that has like a mental 
illness. And I kind of hate even saying that word. I know. You know I, 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 mean? I, I go back and forth between mental illness and mental health disorder. They all sound terrible. And it's like, I don't want to... Mental s- disease. Again, not great. Like, they but, don't... That's like the is. wrong word, you know? But it is something he was struggling with. Yeah. And I think what made it worse was he was using substances to cope. Because, yeah, you know... What usually happens is... Yeah. It's your coping system to cover up yes. some other dis-ease or something else that's going on. Yes. And so I felt like, and again, I feel like I really, I really got to understand this a lot more recently with everything that I've been learning about healing and healing trauma and healing kind of negative patterns we can fall into as people when we are hurting, when we're struggling. So now I spent most of my childhood kind of angry with my parents. I felt like, you know, my dad abandoned us and, you know, my mom struggled with it. And, you know, she also had depression too. And depression also ran in her side of the family and there was suicide on her side of the family. And so, you know, I felt very kind of alone and abandoned growing up in the sense. And I had to kind of like learn to take care of myself because everyone is, is hurting and dealing with what they're dealing with. And so I was angry. I was like, not the easiest, I'd say, I'd be honest. But now, and I'll get to this later, but now I have so much more compassion for each of my parents' Mm -hmm. um, trials and tribulations because again, they were just trying to do what they could with what they knew, you know? Well, and with each generation and our parents' generation and then their parents, our grandparents' generations, Mm -hmm. we didn't have the help or the resources or the conversation. Yeah. And it's like, when you sit and think of that, like we are so, you know, we're blessed and cursed in the, in the digital age, you know, with mm-hmm. knowledge is great, but also the internet's crazy. But at least we're talking about it. At least we're having a dialogue. At least it's more culturally accepted to be like, hey, I'm struggling right now. Or, hey, I, I'm looking for support. Back then, no. no. It's like, you just have a drink and shut up. You yeah. know, like that was the go-to. And especially my father who… I love and, you know, I respect. And like, he was very much, a, he's a man's man. He's very masculine. He's an athlete. And I think for him to admit he was struggling was for him to admit weakness. Mm-hmm. And it was almost as if he'd rather just kind of destroy himself through mm-hmm. alcoholism and substance abuse instead of admitting weakness to others, which again, just like breaks my heart. like that I just feel like it's not I just feel like he never got the chance yeah the chance to like understand and heal the way he needed to and, and he that, was hiding and you know not just I don't, don't want to say yeah. just your dad but those in that situation are hiding from themselves but exactly someone like you as the daughter you see it yes I see it but I didn't know you didn't know, you know I didn't know anything and and this was also a big part of my healing too was um I was very anxious, like, as a kid, too, because I felt like my world was kind of crumbling. My parents divorced. We moved schools at the same time. I didn't have any of my old friends. I was going through puberty. I felt like I didn't have anyone to talk to. Did your parents— Sorry, I'm asking. No, it's okay. I didn't have— Did your parents teach you about puberty? 
Heck no. Me either. Girl. I think Ooh. I started my period and I went to my older sister and was like, what is this? <laughs> at least you had an older sister. I had an older brother. When I started my period, I was at a pool party. Ooh. And I thought I cut my leg. I was like, where is the incision? How did what I get cut? <laughs> no clue. No clue. Oh my gosh. I wonder how many kids are like, Nobody taught me about the birds and the bees. Yeah, still haven't or, had that talk with my mom yet. I'm still waiting for her to sit me down yeah. and be like, all right. Sorry, never had those conversations. But again, again, you know, I think it's it's just a different age. It was a yeah. different age. It was a different generation. And man, like when you think about it, it's like her parents were even worse. Yeah. Like they talked even less. They, You know, and so it's like, again, it's so interesting. I felt like, And I guess this is also why I kind of wanted to come and share is like, I felt very Mm ill-equipped as my my whole life. Mm -hmm. As a kid, as a young adult, as a young woman, as a woman. Like, I felt like I never felt prepared or knew or also knew how to handle these kind of situations I'd get into or would happen around me, like with family or friends or anything. And I, I, I almost want to write a book and it'd be like titled, Don't Do What I Did. <laughs> and instead, like about like what I've learned and how to cope with it. So, you know, again, back to like my journey was I was very anxious. I felt like I couldn't share my emotions because my parents were both going through their emotions. So I felt like I had to kind of keep it together. I couldn't be another stressor to, mm-hmm. to them. And so I learned to suppress and push everything down. But, you know, I, a, a really brilliant book I read that really helped me was called The Drama of the, the Gifted Child. Have you read that? I've only read oh, part of it. good. One of my… Um, you like it. My psychologist, uh, Gwen Dittmar. I started working with her in 2017. She's mm-hmm. amazing. She told me to read that. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, essentially… The, I know I'll finish it. You'll I'll take it to you, Mexico. There you go. Yeah. It… When I read that book… It made it clicked everything for me, and it's and it's brilliant too because at the at its core, it's basically saying children are so smart, mm-hmm. and all they want in the world is to be loved and accepted. And sometimes they're born into environments that aren't completely that stressful. You know, your parents are going through some things, anything. And so, in order for a child to survive, because they're completely dependent on their parent, is they must adapt mm-hmm. in any way whatsoever. So if a parent is stressed, like I felt like my mom was very stressed because she was a single mom and raising two kids and having to work. And, you know, it was just a lot on her plate. And my dad really wasn't helping the situation. And he was struggling with his issues. And then he had another family and us and struggling to keep it all together and provide for everyone while he's really hurting inside. So what kids will do is they see their parents and and see how they need to adapt to get love. So for me, I saw stress in each of my parents. So how did I adapt? By becoming so self-sufficient, so independent, so perfect, that they I never needed help from them. I was never a burden. I was never, I never caused any other stress. But because I did that, I never was honest with my needs as a child. And that means, hey mom, I need to know about puberty. <laughs> hey, mom, I need to know about what is this blood? <laughs> like, what is this? What's a period? <laughs> Which is, you know, 
And so I, even when I, even until I feel like recently, the last two, three years, I was such a, you know, I got it. Like mm-hmm. I did not really, I never asked for help. I never wanted to admit weakness. I never wanted people to see me when I wasn't perfect. So that meant, you know, if I was hurting or if I was depressed or if I was anxious, I never wanted anyone to see I hit it. And I was really, really good at hiding it. So I kind of had this persona of this like really strong, really capable person because that's who I had to be to kind of survive in my family because I didn't have, you know, I love my parents and we've healed a lot and talked about it, but just at that time and I didn't have the support from them for me to grow. So, so it's fascinating. So I suppressed a lot and part of my journey was learning about how to positively deal with emotions, how to positively cope with my feelings and, um, and how to not suppress mm-hmm. and how to express, but not, you know, in a rageful or destructive way, positive ways. Yeah. And I want to get to what even, I know you've done a lot of trauma work mm-hmm. before we mm-hmm. sat down yes. in March, <laughs> and then you've done a lot more. But I even want to, before we get to that, talk more about maybe your own depression coming mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. and recognizing that mm-hmm. and in your career and the decisions you've had to make. And I found it when we talked last time, you discussed your role as Raven Rays. Mm-hmm. hundred? Mm-hmm. hundred, yeah how she was such a powerful character. Yes. And mm-hmm. you went almost from being like, well, you like she was someone to look up to, but then she also went through so much trauma and mm-hmm. her own depression. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can explain it, but then how becoming, because of your, your job as an actor, and your mm-hmm. passion, how you really soak that in and your body mm-hmm. soaks that in too. Yeah, that was really fascinating. <sighs> Where to begin? <laughs> so I guess I'll just, the, the timeline of it. You know, so I, I drop out of college. I get to LA. I, it's crazy. It's ups and downs. And then, you know, again, I, I, I was blessed to have like really beautiful figures in my life to help me like great coaches. And I found a great manager to kind of shepherd me into to working. And so then I get my first like big job on General Hospital on this soap opera. And I've only been there like a year. And so it's a really big deal because it was a contract role. So it meant I could financially like take care of myself. And so I was like, oh my God, I made it. <laughs> and, um, but that was a really hard, hard role because people don't realize this like soap schedules are basically three weeks on, one week off every month. So they do not stop. You don't have like a hiatus or a break. You just have one week off every month. And you also are doing like so much dialogue, like mm-hmm. a big day on like a primetime set or whatnot is basically doing like eight pages of a script. A normal day on a soap is like 50 pages. Do you have to memorize all that? Yes, that's, yes. Oh my God. So you're basically memorizing like a new play. Like you're a genius. Every, I'm a genius. <laughs> Bum number two. <laughs> Cheerleader number two slash genius. <laughs> It was, and people say like, well, soaps are great boot camp for, you know, an actor to kind of like cut their teeth. And they're not wrong. But for me, 
it was it was hard because it was like a boot camp and also i was so green i was so i didn't i didn't have any experience so i felt very alone and like unsure of myself and also again i'm not asking anyone for help i'm i'm just like i can figure it out and uh and i was struggling and i was struggling really hard on that and i was replacing another actress which is also hard to do cuz soaps you don't like change character you're just like a new actor okay and so I had no idea about that. But, you know, I I got a fair amount of, like, internet hate. Love that. Love that, right? So fun. But being, like, 21 and, like, yeah. I'm doing my dream job. Like, da-da-da-da-da. And then, she sucks. Bring back the other girl. Like, she's terrible. <laughs> I was crushed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really hard for me to see all that and to be, like, what am I doing wrong? How do I get better at this? You know, like I just didn't know. And so ultimately it was, it was tough. And then ultimately I got let go. Mm-hmm. So why did you get let go? <laughs> okay. Maybe I should. you really didn't back. <laughs> well, okay. Well, this is, maybe I should rephrase that. When you're like on a contract role for a soap, like you're locked in. You don't have breaks. Whereas if you do another other projects, you get like a hiatus, so you can do other things. Yeah. With soaps, you're locked in unless you go to recurring and then you have more freedom. So a lot, a lot was happening too. Like this was at a time period where a lot of the soaps were shutting down and they were, a, lot of, a lot of cancellations were happening. A lot of people were very like scared of what was going to happen. And so we had like a change of regime, new producers up came in. I got hired as like the change. And so when my contract came up for renewal, you know, I was struggling. I was struggling on the show. I was struggling with my part. I was struggling with the workload. And I ultimately wasn't very happy, you know. And this was another thing I needed to learn was soaps, especially it's every day, I didn't know how to fake cry. I had no idea that they did that and that you could fake it. Like, I did not know that. So I was having these, like, crazy storylines where my sister, like, lost her baby or I was, like, taken for hostage or, you know, my boyfriend got in a car crash and died in the ER. Like, it was a lot of drama. (laughs) So I was, like, crying constantly, like, almost every day. Mm -hmm. And I found out that I was very good at that. But it took a toll on me. You know what I mean? So did you have to think of something that would make you cry every day? Yes. So I kind of was like going inside myself and like pouring salt on my wound, my own wounds to make the reaction of crying. Because again, I'm I'm still so green. I don't know enough about technique and acting. And I was like, okay, nobody likes me. (laughs) And I need to like do this no matter what. And again, I'm not asking anyone for help. And so I'm just like trying my best and trying so hard. Uh, it still wasn't great. And so, and I'll be honest, it wasn't my great, my best work. And um, my contract came up for renewal and I was like, I'd like to step that lower and so I could have some more freedom and a break and also like probably go back to acting class because I felt like I sucked. <laughs> and they considered it. And then they ultimately came back and decided that they were going to let me go. And so again, and it was so funny. I caught myself when I told you that. Like, in my head, the story I told myself at that age was I was fired. Mm-hmm. Was that I was fired and I wasn't good enough. 
And again, I had to correct myself. I was like, well, that actually wasn't what happened. There was a lot of shifting, a lot of change. A lot of characters I I was linked to were leaving the show. And then they just kind of didn't know what to do with my character. And then again, ultimately, I wasn't happy. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of like divine intervention that this happened. But at the the age, I think it was 22, 23, I took it really hard. And I took it like I failed. And I took it like I couldn't do this. And I just had to move back home. But I couldn't move back home because I didn't feel like anyone supported me back home. So I just was stuck. And I got really depressed then. I got really like, do I quit? Do I do something else? What do I do? And I remember it was basically about for me leaving to when I joined the 100. I think it was like six months or like five months. So what was that like, that period? That, where- that period was hard. Yeah. Because again, not asking anyone for help. <laughs> really, guys, ask for help. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. But I felt like, you know, I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And like, I was like, okay, I'm going to throw myself into class. I'm going to, you know, get a, I, I gained, I gained weight on the show. Cause I was like crying and like eating my feelings like carbs after I got home. Cause I was like, <laughs> I was going to ask like, what, when you're not working, what are you doing? My gosh, it was, it was, I was so stressed and I was so exhausted because I wasn't like the old pros to where they could just like leave work and like look at 30 pages of dialogue. They had to do the next day and be like, got it. And then like go to sleep. I was like studying till 2 a.m., stressed, and then waking up at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. to be on set. And, you know, granted I'd be done by like noon, but I'd just be studying again. So it was just this cycle of like constant stress and pressure. And, you know, the thing with acting too, and especially the soap is that it's new every day. It's not like, you know, I can go to work and just like go by the motions. Like you're on camera and like people are watching and your producers are watching and they're expecting a show. So if you have like an off day, everyone knows, everyone sees, you're going to see it when it comes out. So there's this other pressure to be like perfect, Mm -hmm. you know? And I really fed into that too at that age that I needed to be perfect. And again, back to my childhood, Mm -hmm. I needed Mm -hmm. to be perfect and not be an issue. I need to achieve and succeed and like, you know, be amazing. And so I struggled. I gained a lot of weight. Not a lot of weight. I just gained like some weight. But again, you know, everyone's like kind of picking you apart when you're on screen. And Mm -hmm. so it's like I felt like, well, maybe that's part of why I got fired. Or maybe that didn't think I was good enough there. I didn't look, I didn't fit in my costume anymore. You know, when it was like this whole thing. Well, even a decade ago. Oh my gosh. Forget about a woman gaining any weight. So, okay. So one of my (laughs) older girlfriends told me this. And this used to be like, back in the day, like, I want to say like 2000s, you know, maybe 20 years ago. Networks used to have a 10-pound contract clause. Mm. So not for men. Oh, for women. Right. Right. So if you got a contract for like a show or movie or whatever, I guess it's just shows, the network. And apparently if you gained 10 pounds while in contract, they could fire you. Did you have to do weigh-ins? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. She just told well, me that. Well, because I know a I lot was, of, like, flabbergasted. I had, um, I did a podcast yesterday with Emmy. She was, like, a huge supermodel mm-hmm. in the 90s. The mm-hmm. first woman to be a supermodel who was plus size. Oh, wow. But, yeah, we were talking about, like, agencies actually oh, have weigh-ins. So toxic. Oh, toxic. Yeah. It's, I mean, you just, you get really object- objectified. 
you know, you're objectified by your people that represent you, like your agents, your managers, because they're trying to sell you. And then you get objectified by the producers who are putting you on stuff. And then you get objectified by the audience who are watching you. And, you know, when I was young, and like no hate to anyone because we all objectify each other, right? It's Mm -hmm. just like in human nature. But when I was younger, and I would say a decade ago too, when this was happening, the culture was really, really toxic. Yeah. And it was like, if you wanted to be like on screen or be a model or be an actor, you had to look a certain way. You had to be a certain weight. You had to, you couldn't be like too ethnic. Like you, like it was, mm-hmm. it was just bizarre that we were telling these stories of like the human experience in our world, but we were only representing like such a fraction of people. Yeah. And I experienced that too. And this is something I've never shared. I'm going to do it here. <sighs> but <laughs> bringing out the big guns. <laughs> But when we started Tone It Up, and I was in the modeling industry prior to that and hosting before Tone It Up, but Kat and I got a steal through a big agency Mm -hmm. for one of our first workout videos. And the production company's like, you know, the camera puts on 10 pounds. Oh my gosh. And we kept hearing that. And then in your head, you're like, oh my gosh. I need to lose 10 pounds. So it's not they're telling you, they're not telling you to do that. But, but they're I letting need, you know and I need over to. and over. over again. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was everywhere. Yeah. And especially in LA. And I think, again, if you don't live in LA, you don't like, don't get it. It's like an yeah. obsession. Yeah. And it's part of the culture. And again, I'm so grateful that things have changed now. And it's so <laughs> less toxic. And like, we're actually like, can be human beings. But, you know, that was something I really, I struggled with too. I struggled with my body image all my 20s. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, Again, like I will get into it later, but like my journey brought me to another another place to where I can be so, I actually found gratitude for my body. And it wasn't like something that I needed to be constantly critiqued or that people were going to judge me for. But instead, it's just a vessel that supports me and loves me that I love it back and gives me a healthy, vital life. Yeah. Which is essentially what it is. But again, it's, you know, it's fascinating how the, uh, dialogue has changed around it. Yeah. And I see it even in in myself too, because back then I wouldn't even wear jean shorts. Oh, now I walk around here and like some little booty shorts on. I'm like, whatever, you know, it's like (laughs) so weird. And I, I'm so proud and grateful for where we have come. We have a lot of work to go, but me at 41 will be more comfortable and less clothes than I was at 22. The world can't wait. (laughs) I'm going naked soon. Ready, Karina? (laughs) No, I felt the same. I wouldn't take my like shirt off at the gym. Like if we're wearing a sports bra. Now I'm like, whatever, it's hot. But I remember being like, I remember having that feeling when I was young. I was like, well, when I weigh this amount, I can take my shirt off at the gym. And Like, that's just so sad, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, even when I was growing up, I never was, like, a really, like, thin kid. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. some kids are just so naturally thin. I was not that kid. I was… I developed early. Like, I got, like, boobs first out of everyone. So, I got Mm -hmm. boobs at, like, 11. Which, you know, was uh, traumatic enough. (laughs) Because you're like, what is this? Um, But also, I was always athletic. I always was, like, a healthy… Build, but compared to my friends who were, you know, didn't develop as quickly as I did and mm-hmm. were a lot thinner, like I always felt like the heavier kind of one or like I'm heavier than I should be at my age. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And 
And, you know, I just look back and I think that's like, where was I getting that? Like, like where was I receiving that? And like, I think back, it's just everywhere. Everywhere. Just society. Every, society. I, I was, again, with Emmy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> talking about how back then we were talking about social media. Now I was like, back oh. then I had Seventeen Magazine and mm-hmm. whatever, like yo Cosmo, Co- everything you Tiger know. Beat. <laughs> Tiger Beat. Tiger Beat. I was like, yo, that's Tiger Beat. Yeah, <laughs> but so we still had it, and I, you know, it's a, every form of media has changed yes. over the years, yeah. which is really important. But um, yeah, we grew up. You know, you're ten years younger than me. Almost, I think, but, or more. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> I think it's just done. Yeah. I'm 32. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, I'm 41. Don't give okay. me that. Nine. Nine years. But yeah, it's it's interesting. But society has gotten better. And, thank, thank God. But like again, lots to go. Lots to go. Lots to go, but making strides. But again, okay, so back to whatever. So again, I felt like a big failure. I feel like it was mm-hmm. my fault. And um I think I got depressed. I think that was my first kind of bout of depression. And I didn't really know what it was. What were you feeling? Shame. A lot of shame. A lot of sadness. A lot of, again, like I failed. Like I did something wrong. Like I was bad. So how does that show up though? So when you have, when you say you had a depressive episode, let's say. Is it hard for you to get out of bed? Hard to be motivated? Hard to, or was it just all in your head, but you went on with the day like everything was perfect? For me, it was at first debilitating and like really couldn't get out of bed or felt very unmotivated, very sad. Like I felt very sad. And then it turned into a kind of anxiety, like pressure. Like, I have to fix this. I did something wrong. I have to fix this. So then I like really threw myself into like acting classes and like working out and I like got a personal trainer. And so then it was like an obsession, you know, of like, I could, I have to fix what is bad about me, what is wrong with me. And, you know, then it was interesting because I was able to funnel then I was able to like funnel this kind of anxiety into power. And then I started getting very confident in myself. It like evolved because I was taking action and because I was like, no, I can do this. No, I'm not, I can do this. You know, like I was almost like this just statement to the world and to myself. But it was also running on fear, you know? Yeah, and during this time, just was this a battle within yourself or would your friends reach out and be like, hey, Lindsay, you want to go out? But you were like so debilitated that you you would say, like, was anyone concerned for you or were you putting on a facade or at this time still not speaking up about what you were going through? Mm. Well, I would say the debilitating phase wasn't that long. The, uh, the, kind of obsessive, like, I have to fix this phase was what was longer and was more consuming. And so, you know, I, again, I was running on a lot of anxiety. And so, yeah, I would have friends want to reach out and I would, I would push them away because I kind of, I isolate myself. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm in pain or when I'm suffering, I isolate myself. 
And so I started pushing away friends and family um, because I was like, no, I have to focus. No, I, I can't do that. No, I can't you know, and I got really like restrictive with my eating and like my weight. And I was like, no, I can't like go and have a drink or I can't like have carbs. Like mm -hmm. it was crazy. Not crazy. It was my way of control. Mm -hmm. It was my way of finding, I didn't, I didn't feel safe mm -hmm. because I, again, I told myself I got kind of cast out and fired and um, therefore like was rejected. I was rejected and I had nowhere to go. You know, I couldn't go back home. At least that's how I felt. I felt like I couldn't mm -hmm. go back home. I couldn't admit failure. And so I had to figure out a way to make it work. So again, it was like an obsession. But then, and so I'm kind of isolating. I'm very much in my sphere and my focus. And then I get nominated for a daytime Emmy from the soap. That you're no longer That I no at. longer was part of. And so it, a mind fuck. it was a total <laughs> mind fuck because I was so, I was so believed the story that there was something wrong with me that I was a, this awful actor on the show. And then I got nominated and I was like, huh? Like I was so confused, but it was also like, again, this reminder that things we tell ourselves mm -hmm. are probably not true mm -hmm. or they're just way worse. Like we're so at least for me, I was so critical of myself. I was so, you know, I wanted to believe my story even if it wasn't always true. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a really interesting reminder, like, hey, this isn't, this isn't what actually happened. It, yeah, a lot of people are talking about imposter syndrome. Yes. Right now. Yeah. And so this could be an example big part, of it. Yeah. So then I got the hundred, like, Again, like five months, five months afterwards. And I felt imposter syndrome big time. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, this is where I have to prove myself. This is where I have to like show the world that I can do this. And so again, I'm super focused on it. I'm not eating carbs. <laughs> like to me at that time was like, that means I'm serious. You know, I just was miserable. But, um, but grumpy. Grumpy, right? <laughs> but, but so I got this like kind of, shorter or smaller role where I was only supposed to be in about five episodes of the series. And then I got killed off. And I didn't know that like that could change. I just thought like, because I'd never really done primetime before, not like a long way. Mm -hmm. I would just do like, you know, one show here, one show there. And this was on the CW, this right? This was on the CW, yeah. yeah. And so again, I was like, okay, I got to make these five episodes count. <laughs> and so I really like threw myself into this role and threw myself into the story and really tried to give it my all. But I was still running on a lot of fear inside because I was very afraid that I was going to get rejected again or that they were going to fire me when I like show up to set. Again, imposter syndrome. That like I was going to show up and they'd be like, oh, never mind. You know, mm -hmm. like I, mm -hmm. again, it's just fear kind of playing with you and learning to master that. So I feel like I really got into like fitness at this time too. Like I was very much into working out and that was a big way I dealt with stress and a big way I dealt with like the bad voices in my head because I could prove myself like in the gym. I could prove myself with like my sweat and my sweat equity that like I'm, you know, I care about this. I work hard. I deserve this. I'm strong. Like I was like, I want to be strong because mm -hmm. I didn't, feel strong inside. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be strong outside. It was my way of kind of coping, right? Anyways, and so over the show, 
Again, I didn't know anything. <laughs> my character started to really like pop. And again, mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that meant. And I, so unexpected because I was ex- expecting to get fired. And my character became very essential to the story. And so they kept adding me on like episode, episode, episode. And so I ended up living in like a hotel for like six months during the series because I kept like packing my bags, expecting to go home and getting a call being like, oh no, we want to add you for one more. I want to add you for three more. And then by the time I knew it, I was in the whole season. Yeah. And that was Raven. That was Raven. So that was Raven. So Raven was supposed to be five episodes and then she was like… Yes. And then she became like… I was the guest star MVP. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was in almost every episode, um, but as a guest star, not as like a part of the main cast. And so then they asked me to be part of the main cast. And I like really loved this character. And again, I put my all into it. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. And so I signed on. And people who've seen the show know that the show went seven years. So yeah. How long were you on it? Seven years. Holy shit. I was only not in… Well… When the first season, I was only not in the first episode and the third episode. And then for the rest of the seasons, there was like two episodes I wouldn't be in. So for the majority of… We went 100 episodes. So I thought I did about 90 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And so… what people, people who've seen the show understand and know. But people who haven't seen the show is like… The show was very much about after like post-apocalyptic… Mm-hmm. Like nuclear war has taken over Earth. And we are learning to like see if we can survive again on Earth after this like… War, So it's very survival. It's very like life and death stakes all the time. Like our lives are always being constantly threatened. So it was a very, very um, kind of darker, heavier material. Yeah. And but very like much about survival and much about strength. So again, I kind of had this like desire because I was playing this really strong character. She also was a genius, by the way, which… I know you called me a genius before, but <laughs> I wasn't her genius. She was a zero-G space mechanic, so mechanical engineer okay. for space. And she was, like, one of the best and brightest, like, of her age group and of, like, the whole space station when they lived in space. And so she kind of was, like, the MacGyver of the series and could build anything out of anything and was just brilliant. But over the course of the series, you know, she deals with a lot of, like, very, like, deep-seated pain and suffering. Like she has a deep depression that happens. She uh, becomes paralyzed and loses the use of one of her legs and then deals with chronic pain and the depression that comes with that and trying to rebuild from that. She has a a parent and a surrogate parent that goes through substance abuse and trying to understand and navigate that. Um, So you're being triggered. Oh! (laughs) At work. Well… Yes, 100%. Yeah. 100%. And so again, it was, I felt like I needed to play this character to understand myself. Again, mm-hmm. like we're using story, you, you know, to better understand our life. And so I was getting this really interesting place to express emotions that, again, I haven't learned to yeah. properly cope with. I get to express it and understand it and explore it in almost like a safe place Mm -hmm. because essentially it is like fake, you Mm -hmm. know? But what I didn't understand at the time, which I do now, is that, you know, sometimes actors can, 
use a lot of their own like life experience and funnel it into the character, which is definitely something I did. Because again, I'm still like 22 and I don't really have the technique behind me to do other or to do a better, like a different, I would say safer way. So I was being triggered mm-hmm. and I was funneling parts of myself and parts of my story and parts of my life into this character. And although she was so strong and smart and brave, it gave me hope. It gave me hope because I was like, okay, well, remember I used to literally think in my head when I was in situations like, what would, what would Raven do? Yeah. <laughs> because she was so strong. She was so strong. She was so smart. And that was kind of like her thing. Like whatever, the, whatever happened to her, whatever was thrown at her, she'd get hit. Like it would affect her, it would, you know, but then she'd find a way to rebuild. Mm-hmm. And she would rebuild stronger and brighter, or at least try. Like, she had this persistence about her, and she never said die. She never gave up. You know, even after going through bouts of depression or wanting to escape or, you know, she takes this—it's a sci-fi, right? So she takes this chip where that kind of, like, erases your brain. And so it's, it's kind of, like, suicide, in a sense. Like, willing to let go of your, okay. of your soul yeah. and your brain because then you wouldn't hurt anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Or like numbing, you know? So it was really interesting. So, but again, like she would have this resilience to her. And I guess I wanted that. Like I needed that. And so I, she taught me a lot about Mm -hmm. resilience and persistence and endurance and, and strength, which I felt like I didn't quite have inside of me yet. That I hadn't built. And so I got to do this. But at the other side, the token… I was going inside myself and ripping up my own wounds Mm -hmm. to do what I was supposed to do. And so therefore, when you're constantly like ripping open the wound, you're never allowing it to heal. So people kind of call it method acting. I don't, I don't think I really did method acting. I did more like substitution acting, which people would understand more if they know more about acting, but I was using my own personal story in a lot of aspects of the character in the show, which I think, again, brought a level of truth to it. But it didn't necessarily mean that it helped me. Like, I didn't feel, like, great <laughs> at the I end have, of the day. I have an idea. <laughs> oh, let's hear it. <laughs> For the entertainment world. Let's hear it. Oh, Karina. Get ready, guys. My advice for you. Lean in. Total expert. Not having imposter syndrome with this advice. Uh, no, I think it would be really good to for someone like you, and especially a young actress um, and actors out there, to have a... Not only... Did you have a coach? I did. Okay. But, but yeah. partnered with a psychologist. Yeah. So as you're being coached and these emotions are being drawn out of you, mm-hmm. you have your psychologist there to guide you through it too. I mean, that would be, that would bam. be, bam, bam. I mean, you may have fixed it. <laughs> but that was a big yeah. part of my journey too, yeah. was I was like, how do I play these roles, these dark material and not fuck up like my life or not feel yeah. like I am going home at the end of the day, spent and, tired and hurting because I was like suffering. And so that was a lot of like my journey of learning of like, how do I tap in and then close the door? How do I not have to use my pain, my trauma for a character? How do I safely emote and safely go through a truth of a character of a story and emotions 
but not let it affect my life after they say cut. And so Mm -hmm. that was a lot, for me, that was a lot of learning about trauma release and the effects of trauma and like how it can live in the body and how it can affect you later. So this is where we get to the other aspect of the story. Yeah. I understand that too. Like even I just went on my book tour. Right. And I'm, I, I've talked to you before about how I even, I've worked on the book for five years and then we have to go through edits and then mm-hmm. reliving the story and reliving. And yeah. I haven't read the book after it was published because I was like, but I have to do the audio book. Oh, like, you're ready. I think that's why I'm like <laughs> delaying it. <laughs> it would be great. But um, yeah, it's just, and even after an event mm-hmm. where you're talking and you're, uh, you know, speaking with a lot of people and they're telling you their story mm-hmm. and asking advice. And after events, I just, when I go back, I go back to the bus and I, I sleep. You gotta sleep. Yeah. And that's what it is. Everyone's like, hey, you want to go like have out? a drink yeah. or go out or have dinner? <laughs> I'm like, no, even dead. in New York, I was like, no, go yeah. home, going home. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like something I didn't know either. And like, so the show started getting popular and um, we got to do like, conventions and meet fans. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what that really was. Or mm-hmm. I had done like a couple soap conventions, but again, they were very different than the ones we were doing. And so these were just like, they're like Comic-Cons, like on like yeah. a greater scale and there was more fans. And again, I felt like I had imposter syndrome mm-hmm. because I felt like I was portraying this really like strong girl and this like very capable person, but I still didn't always feel that way. And I was like, uh, they love Raven. How could they like Lindsay? You know, mm-hmm. we're very different. And so then we do these conventions and I get to meet these people and they'd share with me their story of how Raven like impacted their life and inspired them and helped them, especially in a dark time. And that touched me on such like a deep level. And it's one of the most important things I feel that I've ever done with my life because mm-hmm. I felt like, wow, like, okay, maybe what I'm doing in the world is good. And my, I, I'm like actually helping people and also helping myself. But I was still struggling with my imposter syndrome. And I was like, well, I'm helping someone, but I'm helping them as Raven, not as Lindsay. And like, Lindsay's not good enough as Raven. You know, will these people even like me? So I felt like after conventions, I would just give so much of my energy out while I was meeting people because I felt like, well, they they need my energy because, you know, I'm supposed to do that. Or like, I'm not good enough just as I am sitting here. I need to give them something. And so then after the conventions, I, I w- I'd get wiped. Like I mm-hmm. was like, I need to just get like a burger and just go to sleep and mm-hmm. like sleep. And everyone else would like want to go out or like have a drink or party. And I was like dead to the world. Well, you're introverted, I would say, or an intro- I'm, extroverted I'm 50, introvert. I'm a 50-50. Yeah. Like I need my, I need my people. Like I need to like yeah. be with people. But as the, the amount of time I'm with people, I need to be alone. Yeah. At time. I, I used, I was, it. I would say in the past, I was a total introvert. I'm like, don't go. But, <laughs> <laughs> but well, I don't know. I went through periods of that. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but then over the years, I love going out and I love speaking and I love yeah. engaging. But yeah, I, yeah, 50 50. 50 50. Yeah. yeah. But you know, sometimes the 50 50 is hard, especially yeah. if you're under a schedule where like you don't get the same amount of input time as you have output because yeah. you are scheduled to speak or meet people or to do things. And so 
that was another big lesson I had to learn about like protecting my energy and also inputting more than I'm outputting because I was spending so much of my 20s outputting, 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 like in the show or at conventions or traveling or doing other projects or, you know, trying to do as much as I could. Because again, I think there was this like fear that it would all go away if I stopped. Mm -hmm. You know, I finally like got success or like finally like climbed a mountain and it was like, suddenly the stakes were different. Suddenly I had something to lose. And then suddenly I got really scared about losing it or that I couldn't live up to it now. And that was a thing that was, that flowed in and out for me over these years and up until now. And I have finally realized it's like, oh, I was, I was making so many like fear-based choices. And I was really thinking from a place of lack and fear that like, I'm not good enough or I'm an imposter or it's all going to go away versus like having an abundance mentality that like, you know what? I'm so grateful these people see me and I'm so grateful these people like what I do. And I'm so grateful that I get a chance to do this. And I'm so grateful that I'm getting to expand and do more, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that it's, that's two very different mental shifts. And when I'm in my abundance perspective and I, and that's been a very deep practice for me, then it's, it's, it's just so much life so much better, A. Mm-hmm. And also those kind of negative voices that want to say like, you're not good enough, blah, 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 aren't as loud. You know, they're, they're still there that I got to deal with, but they're just, they're not running the show yeah. the way they used to. Yeah. I want to get into your practices now. And yeah. I know you went on to do Walker. Yes. And very successful. You got to film here in Austin. I know. I got to come back. Yay. And then you recently left the leave. show mm-hmm. for your own choices. You can go over that if you want, but I, I'm really, I want to get, I'm so interested in the last, whatever, March, April, May, June. Five months. July. Five, five months. I want to hear what you, oh, crack my knuckle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so, Lin- yeah, Lindsay took a break. Yeah. She left Walker just for taking care of yourself. And I think that's so important to know and listen to your mental health mm-hmm. and be like, this is not good for me because this is your, this is your life, your mm-hmm. one life. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked a lot about your fear of like, well, if I don't do this, mm-hmm. will I? Will it stop? Will it stop? Yeah. And so that, that was a big step for you. And mm-hmm. I believe, you know, all of your fans fully support you. Thank I'm sure you. They miss you. Oh. They hope so. (laughs) Like, eh. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I will say, so Walker was like such a blessing too because it was a show that kind of came right after the the 100. And it was so like perfect. It was going to bring me back to Austin, bring me back to like my family. I got to reconnect with them. And I got to play this other character that, again, she was very strong, very capable, very smart, but she had a lot more humor to her than my last character. So I was really excited about that aspect to her. And it was a lead. I was like, you know, I was supporting on the on the hundred, and this was like a lead role, like mm-hmm. a lead female role. And so it was everything I wanted. Mm-hmm. It was like manifesting to the tenth got exactly what I wanted. It was wild. And a big part of what I wanted was like working with really great people and feeling really like supported and nurtured. And like that's what I got. Like the Walker said is probably one of the most peaceful and happy and like sweet and funny and fun sets I've ever been on. Like it's just a giant 
family, which is, again, so beautiful. But the truth of it was I I was on a major burnout. And Mm -hmm. I just come off of seven years in the hundred. And prior to that, like the soap, which was nonstop. And so I really didn't take any breaks. I was doing projects in between. So the longest I ever like wasn't working was probably for like a month. You know, it was like a decade long uh, sprint. And again, I was doing this thing where I was expending all my energy trying to do, 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 and never replenishing. You know, I was also like, again, very athletic and doing like, I was like training with this triathlon group, triathlon group in Vancouver with no intention of doing a triathlon. (laughs) I was like, I just like the workouts. And then I'm like, what? You know, like what? But I wasn't recovering. I didn't know anything about recovery until I hit burnout. Mm -hmm. So I was doing Walker and it was great, but it was a massive workload. And I had a lot on my shoulders and I just was struggling. You know, I was really having a lot of anxiety. I felt like things were happening in my body that I didn't understand. Like prior Walker, about a year before I started to break out really bad. I never had acne before. And I was like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. And I started like gaining weight. And um, and again, I was like, okay, like very much like working out and eating how I usually eat, like what's going on? It was like my whole body just kind of shifted. And I was so tired. It was like, I couldn't get up in the morning. And um, I was like the biggest like caffeine addict ever too. And it was just like, nothing was working. Everything just felt like, I don't know, like something shifted inside of me. And so I was like, you know, I was trying to fix everything or heal everything happening in my body, but I didn't know what it was. And so when I was under Walker, I was, I was, I'd say it like this. I felt like I was running a marathon with a sprained ankle, Mm -hmm. but again, not wanting to ask for help, not wanting anyone to see me weak, not wanting to be vulnerable. I didn't really tell anybody. I didn't really share that I was struggling. I was just like, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to figure it out. You know, of course there were things that were obvious, like my skin or whatnot, which I felt a lot of shame about. Mm -hmm. But now, and this is, I never thought I'd say the words, which is so ironic. I am so grateful for my acne. (laughs) Gave you a message. Exactly. I don't think I would have stopped. I don't think I would have started to look internally and like look at my physical health and look at my mental health and look at everything I need for longevity for the rest of my life if I didn't start breaking out. And then for everyone listening too, it's such a good signal. Your body lets you know when it's Mm -hmm. under stress. Mm -hmm. For me, it was um, psoriasis. Mm -hmm. Like I would break out all over my Mm -hmm. stomach. And I also, I gained weight a few years ago because just dealing with things with my mom and I was under high stress high between stress, work yeah. and taking care of my mother. And it was, I didn't change much of my eat, my mm-hmm. eating habits or my workouts. Um, and then when my mom passed, like everything just like came back to neutral. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I mean, I also started taking care of myself instead of her. Yeah. But um, yeah, your body lets you know. Your body lets you know. And if you do not listen, it just gets louder. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it will not stop until you listen. And so I was feeling the signs 
and seeing the signs. And I just didn't, I just ignored them for as long as I could. And so that's why it was, it's so ironic that I'm on camera and it's my face Mm. that's breaking out. So it was like something I couldn't ignore or couldn't just be like, hide it under the rug. And so again, it's like, I'm so grateful for it now because it was the only thing that stopped me to really start to look into like what was happening. And so anyway, so I was, I got these tests done and like, I didn't have great results. My adrenals were tapped out. My thyroid was going bonkers. My hormones were all over the place. Like I was like, what is going on? It was like everything just started to betray me. And so I was angry. I was angry and I was frustrated and I was ashamed. You know, I I felt like I couldn't be my best person because of struggling. And I was so tired, so tired all the time. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't keep up, you know? And so when I was doing Walker, I, I felt like I, I was having this anxiety all the time because I felt like I was failing the show and I was failing my co-stars and I was failing everyone around me because they were, you know, so magnificent and brilliant and bringing so much and never seemed to get tired. And I was like <laughs> trying to keep up, <laughs> yeah. you know, but again, this was kind of like me internally, I don't want to say suffering, me internally trying to figure all this out by myself and do this alone. And so again, like, so my journey became like piece by piece by piece. And so I started working with this holistic doctor that then started to help me with my supplementations, which then started to help me kind of balance back together. But then I was still having stress. And so then um, basically I was, I got to this point in my life where my level still were up and down and it was all over the place. And I was doing more in-depth testing now because I was like, okay, I've been doing this for a year. My results have been two steps forward, one step back, two, you know, and not great. Like what's happening? And so I did like deeper tests and my doctors I was working with were telling me I was kind of, I was having these pre-diagnoses for like autoimmune, like Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism Mm -hmm. and that I might not be able to have a baby you know, like naturally, like if Mm -hmm. I could do IVF or I could do something else, but they were saying like, it's not looking great. Like you're kind of at a fork in the road. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, what are my options? And they said, well, you know, you keep doing what you're doing, but you're under so much stress that it just causes your body to go haywire. So we can put you on like prescription medication and, but you may have to be on that for like your life, your life. Yeah. Yeah. Or you stop being stressed <laughs> and we allow your body to naturally regulate, re-regulate. And that's something that um, your body's so brilliant at doing. You just have to give it the space and time to do it. So when I was faced with that, it kind of, again, it was like this wake-up call hit me with like, you know, what do I do? Like, I finally got like what I wanted and I bought a house here and you know, me and my fiance were talking about starting a family. And it was just like, everything I wanted suddenly like ripped out from me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, what is this? Why? Mm-hmm. And, um, but again, it was, the decision for me to leave was the best thing I could have ever done. Because then it allowed me finally time and space for me to heal. So 
I left and that was remarkably hard because I felt a lot of guilt. I felt a lot of shame. I felt like I failed everyone. And I felt like, you know, it's like, again, something's wrong with me. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what is this? Like, why now? And so I dug deeper and deeper and deeper. And I've been on this kind of journey of healing and found out I have scoliosis. So we talked about this briefly, but prior last one, but I've gone deeper now. So I found that I, it's not, it's like a, my spine is twisted in two places. And so one is at my base at my hips, which is affects your digestion and your hormones and your adrenals and your thyroid. And so it's been, since it's twisted, it's been like pulling on like my nerve ending. So it was affecting all these things in my body and causing those aspects of my body to think it was going under like haywire and like it was being, I don't know what the right word. It was being like stressed. It was being stressed. Right. And that was caused by... So that we're still... Figuring out. We're still figuring it out. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting because it could have been a multitude of things. And it's not like one thing led to, you know, one thing was the full cause. But it was interesting because in my last job, I played a character that was paralyzed in one leg. And so there's a big part of me that thinks that I was doing this action and also like my doctors agree that I was possibly doing this action that was affecting it. And like, but also manifesting trauma while I'm in this role that then my body is like, you're like, I, I can't use my one leg. My body is listening. Yeah. Your mind is telling your, yeah, the mind body connection and your body is so smart. Like you can make it do whatever you want. It's not going to like it, but it will do it. And so my body began to compensate and, you know, I was forcing it to walk a certain way from my character. And so my body started to walk that way more naturally than what it was used to. So, you know, there was an aspect of that. And then it's also, my spine is also affecting like the bottom of my brainstem, which was like my vagus nerve. And Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. pulling a lot of my, your nerve synapses that deal with like anxiety or depression or you have such a good description of the vagus nerve. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so for thanks, those of Dave. that are listening that don't know what that is, because it's such a important nerve that is the mm-hmm. fight or flight. And when you're having, you know, a panic attack, mm-hmm. it affects your entire body. Yes. It, so it's it's a, like a small nerve, small gland, like in the base of your brainstem. But it does so much and so important to your like overall well-being and overall well-function. So you know, basically when you're in an adrenaline space, like where you're like fight, flight, or freeze, it gets activated. And then it starts to pump like cortisol and adrenaline into your body. To, so it gives you like superpower to fight or, you know, superpower to freeze or to run. But if it's being constantly tapped into, which I was doing with, you know, being under stress, being in um, kind of deep traumatic scenes, working out like a fiend, stimulating it with caffeine too much, you know, not giving it the rest and reassurance needs. And also when it's being kind of activated and pulled negatively because of my spine, it was just on like haywire, mm-hmm. right? So this is this was a big moment of relief when I figured this out. I mean, at first I was like, what? (laughs) But then I was so relieved because I knew, I knew everything was connected and I knew 
it wasn't just one. I knew it had to all be connected because it all happened at the same time. And I mm-hmm. just was like, I knew it. And I just knew if I kept digging, I would find it. And I did like everything to find it. And that was finally my missing piece. But so this is interesting too. So my x-rays are also showing like, it can show you the bone degeneration like in your spine. And so um, mine is showing back all the way till I was like, like a younger age. Like there was like a possible injury Mm -hmm. when I was young that could have affected it. And so I think that's also playing into it. You know, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to take away from this, from this podcast that like it was one thing that caused anything. It was just something that was a culmination of accident. Like things that nobody knew. I didn't know. It wasn't anyone's fault. It was just like, okay, this happened and caused this. And it was these like domino effects. But now I'm so grateful because I've been able to do the proper healing I need to. And I have this amazing um, neurologist that's also like a spinal specialist that I've been working with here in Austin that again, I don't think I would have found if I wasn't in Austin. So it's like crazy synchronicities of how Mm -hmm. it happened. That's been helping me being able to like reverse the patterns of my spine that it's used to compensate and helping my nerves, like, and my spine stop pulling on my nerves. And so, you know, I'm very grateful that there's been so much progress already in a short amount of time. Yeah. But um, the biggest takeaway I've learned from all this is how much trauma is in our body and how much, and how important it is that we let go of trauma because the body stores trauma. A really great book for everyone. It's dense, but it's great. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. But basically it breaks down that your body has a running record of every traumatic moment ever happened in your life. It's there. It, it can like recall it back. And it's ironic because it was something I'd use in my acting. I use my body a lot in my acting. So if it's like an emotion I need to feel, I find it in my body and I access it there because your body, again, has this like living record. But what happened to me was I was like backlogged. I had years and years and years of trauma that I didn't know how to release. I didn't know how to let go. I just was kind of holding it on like a backpack and the backpack was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and like weighing me down. And it was manifesting in my life in negative ways, which I was like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I Mm -hmm. feel like an imposter? Why do I self-sabotage? Why am I hurting myself? And what I learned through my work or my healing is that when you don't deal when you don't um, like deal with like your pain or your trauma or your hurt, like it will manifest in your life and like it will pop up again and again and again until you deal with it. Yeah. So can we go in? Because I'm very excited for this part. Yeah. I'm so excited too. What you have learned and experienced since the last time we sat at this table. Yes. And, you know, going into the trauma that your body holds, Mm -hmm. I've been doing that work because mm-hmm. once my mother passed in it, you know, September 2021, I was like, oh my gosh, I am holding this trauma of 30 years of this relationship. Yeah. And now it's figuring out in that brain space and in my body how to release it. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people listening that are probably like, what do I do? Like, yeah. I you think I know. have the tools, but I, I feel like you've gone on like a <laughs> deep dive in the last three months. It was a deep you, dive. Like, yeah. disappeared from social media. I disappeared from everything. I was like, I gotta, I gotta go on a pilgrimage. They say that when, um, 
like in an Indian tribe, when it's time for a new chief, like to uh-huh. become chief, they have to go into the forest alone yeah. until they come back reemerged as chief. <laughs> and nobody knows what they've done, but they had to do something to get them ready for this new role. So I felt like for me, I had to go on this pilgrimage of like my self-healing. And I, I don't think it's done yet. I think I'm still… It's never done. It's never done. I know. There's phases of it and yes. the deep dive of it, but yes. it should never end. You're, it never you're, will. You're in your early process. 30s. Yeah. You, no, I mean, oh, oh God, yeah. You're going to be chief of More chiefs of, of chiefs. <laughs> but again, it's like I never had the time or space in my life yeah. to do this. And what I learned was that was my bad. That was my mistake. And mm-hmm. it's just like when you're physically training, if you don't have recovery, you're going to burn out. Mm-hmm. You're going to hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And just the same way that I was feeling that way in my physical fitness and my fitness and wellness journey, I was feeling that way emotionally and mentally. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to recover. So <laughs> I went to this place called the Hoffman Process. And have, have you ever heard of it? No. No? Okay. I'm writing this Okay, down. write it down. It was life-changing. And um, they're called the Hoffman Institute. You can find them online. I feel like I've heard of it, but you I haven't have, looked into it. Yeah, you yeah. might have heard aspects of it. And okay. it's a pretty, pretty amazing place. And they do pretty profound work. Just exceptionally beautiful people that just want to help others. Do you stay there? So so the theory is created by this man, Bob Hoffman, who had passed a while ago, but he was a therapist like in the 70s. And he had worked with all his patients. And what he found, um, the majority in his patients, was that they all had these like patterns, like negative patterns that kept popping up in their life. And he felt these patterns were due to like suppressed emotion and like suppressed anger or suppressed sadness. And also that these patterns were essentially for better or worse learned from their parents. Mm -hmm. So it really like their molding of their like adolescent years and childhood years really and how they became as people were really affected on whether they're allowed to express as a child, have their needs met as a child and whether or not their parents had functional ways of coping with emotions or coping with challenges and trauma in their life. So this was kind of like mind-blowing to me because when I started like doing this work, I was I was astounded. I was like, oh, well, I do this and this and this. Oh, and my dad does that. My mom does that. And suddenly I was like putting these pieces together of and having these awarenesses and acknowledgement of all these things that I that were affecting me negatively and, and that I had learned it, you know, from my upbringing or from people that were, mattered to me that like made a big impact in my life. And so that's like the first step. They kind of, they call it the cycle of transformation. They want you to become very aware of your patterns and where they came from. So mm-hmm. you kind of had this like, okay, say, say it's like numbing yourself, you know, like say that's like a negative thing you do. And, um, you know, I would have gotten that from my dad because he had struggled with that too. And so I was like, well, I got that because maybe my dad didn't know how to cope in a healthy way. And so I never learned how to cope in a healthy way. So the first step of the cycle of transformation for having to live in like healthier, better ways is that awareness of finding your patterns. The second step is expression. And this is where people get bunged up the most because we as a society don't allow expression. You know, mm-hmm. we're taught, like, if you're upset, just get over it. If you're mm-hmm. sad, you know, 
don't cry. If if you're angry, say nice words. Like you're never really allowed to have that animalistic expression that you're just like, hey, I'm actually angry or hey, I'm like heartbroken right now because we're not taught as a society to hold space for each other to be like, oh, you're having an, an emotion, emotional reaction right now. You're human. That's mm-hmm. totally normal. Mm-hmm. But instead, we're just like, shame, shame, shame. You shouldn't have that. Suppress, suppress, suppressed. And then it's going to manifest and like wreak havoc because it's sitting there because your body has stored it, right? And it's just mm-hmm. sitting there festering. So they teach you about expression. And basically, you go through kind of all the, take inventory, like all the hurts in your past or like the hurts you feel you, either you're doing to yourself or like that people have done to you. Mm-hmm. And then you express. And it's these like, well, I guess like, okay, I didn't say it right. So it's essentially a seven-day retreat. And you kind of go off either in Connecticut or like wine country in California. You don't have your phone. You don't have any access to anyone outside. And you're in this bubble with like your group of people who you're healing with. And Bob Hoffman had learned through his studies that um, you have a 70% faster rate of healing when you do it in community versus Mm -hmm. when you do it alone. So he wants us to bear our souls in front of each other. He wants us to bear the, you know, what we call the ugly parts about us or the vulnerable vulnerable parts about us or the the parts we don't let people see, the suppressed parts, our rage, our anger, our sadness. He wants us to share this with a group of strangers. And like, you don't say your full name. That's what I was going to ask. Like, because you're very... In the past, I right. wanted to be very private about anything. And I've been to group settings and retreats where I just don't speak up right. because I'm nervous about… Totally. Totally. Yeah. Like, you, you're not allowed to say, like, your full name. You're not allowed to say, like, what you do. Because it's not about that. Yeah. You're, post, you're there to heal and you're there to be authentic. And so, you know, this is another big interesting thing is that when we start stripping away these identities that we've created for ourselves or society has created for us, who are we? Who are we inside? And authentically, who am I at my core if I don't have a, oh, you know, a certain appealing job or, um, you know, I do this in the world and I'm important? What if I don't? Yeah. What if I just did nothing? Yeah. You know, would, and then it's like, again, even if you do nothing, people judge you. So they want to strip away all judgment because you're not there to be judged or to be perceived as anything other than your true authentic self, which is like your heart essentially, right? I just want to make one comment. What I just said, the retreat I went to where I was too scared to speak up Mm -hmm. was probably where I was in my old version of me. Mm -hmm. But obviously, I just put a memoir out that has everything in there. So now I just talk about everything. Well, no, (laughs) but but again, it's like, you know, you're in different stages of your healing. You're in different stages of your, you know, your process and processing. And again, like, I think this is another beautiful thing. Like, we are constantly rewriting our stories, rewriting our identities and rewriting who we are and who we want to be in this world. And so I think for me, yes, there's times I was very private because I felt afraid or felt ashamed or felt like nobody would like me if I was honest. Mm -hmm. But now after doing all this work, I like me. Mm -hmm. I like me. So I'm kind of like, I don't care if you guys like me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want you to, but you know, I like me. Mm -hmm. I respect me. I'm proud of fucking me, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's like, I have had quite a kind of crazy story. And so 
at times I felt really angry about that or shame that I had to go through all this shit. But then I'm like, it all it did was make me wiser and stronger. And now that I feel that way within my core, even though I'm afraid to say the truth or be honest, my truth might help others. And that is beautiful. And that's important because I think it's like, you know, what is our purpose here? Like, I really kind of ask, like, what's my purpose here? Am I just supposed to be on, you know, make movies or TV and have fun? Like, yeah, that's great. But also is what, what's more, what's more. And as much as, and what, this is what I learned at the Hoffman was I had this ability to be authentic in my characters and be their truth and show their truth and all the blazing glory that it was. And it wasn't always pretty, but I didn't feel authentic to be myself mm-hmm. and bring truth to my story and truth to me and truth to all my blazing glory, the ugly and the bad and the beautiful. And it was like, I was wearing masks. Mm-hmm. I felt safe playing another character mm-hmm. that wasn't me because I had to be perfect or I had to be, you know, this, you know, I couldn't be honest. And so now with Hoffman, I was like, it brought me authenticity and brought me this genuine honesty that I am finally bringing to myself. And I think that's a big reason why I finally have the courage to share my story and share my truths and, and just stand on my own, you know? Can you share like three things that really stand out from yeah. Hoffman okay. that you took away right. and brought back? Well, the cycle of transformation yeah. was amazing. So, so you have the awareness and you have the expression. So we did yeah. all that. And then you're doing it in front of people and you're like bearing your soul and bearing your guts. And it's very vulnerable. But then it's some magical, something magical happens in the room because you just look around and you see how much people are bringing their truth and their pain and their heart to this work. And you're just inspired. You're just like, I see them. I respect them. I want to I want to go there. And I'm here to heal. So let me go all in, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then you have that and then you have and then you're like exhausted because you're like ah, for hours and then you're like spent. Mm-hmm. And then this is beautiful realization that you have space inside yourself. And that space is now available for compassion and forgiveness. And compassion to the people who hurt you or the compassion mm-hmm. more importantly to yourself to like forgive yourself and love yourself for not always knowing the right answer not always doing the best thing that you needed to do in that situation or to you know do the right thing you know like for me I had all this guilt carrying around with me that I was like, I fucked up here. I fucked up there. I made this regret here. I messed up here. And then I finally was like, oh, well, that was just me interacting negative patterns that I learned because I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And I was just like unconsciously doing these things and not really knowing why. And then now I knew why because I had learned some negative things. But now I was able to see that and have that awareness. And then release all the emotion tied to it. And so I got it out of my body and I had space to be like, oh, I forgive that little girl that was really scared and who didn't know what she was doing and was just trying to make everyone happy and trying to fix everything and trying to be strong and trying to to do it perfect. You know, I, I forgive 
give that little girl and I love her and I'm so proud of her. She was just trying her best, you know? So I take it at Hoffman, um, Hoffman, you did a lot of inner child work. So yes, we did a bit, but it was called more of your emotional child. Okay. Yeah. So Hoffman believed, or Bob Hoffman believed that you, the emotional aspect of yourself is your emotional child. Mm -hmm. And when people kind of like interact negatively or interact these negative patterns, it's because their emotional child hasn't matured. Mm -hmm. And your emotional child hasn't matured because, you know, whatever, how you were raised, it was stunted. Again, nobody had the tools to be right. like, I have this emotion. Ah, what do I do? You know, they're just like, suck it up and suppress it and let it sit in there. Mm-hmm. Versus Hoffman giving us the tools to be like, I have this emotion. Let me express it. Let me find compassion. Let me acknowledge it. Let me listen to it. Let me talk to it. Let me like say it. it's okay. Like you're angry right now. I'm angry right now. That's fine. You know, they say an emotion lasts 90 seconds. Mm. That's it. Even with little kids. So it's like, you got to allow them. They say like what he taught us was, we as humans have to be allowed the space to be our true selves or we feel ashamed or we feel rejected or we feel like we have to hide. Versus, you know, when you see a little kid and they have an emotion and, you know, as a parent, you're like, don't do that. But -hmm. actually you should be like, great. Yeah, you're feeling angry right now. That's fine. Let's talk about it. Let's let's be angry for a little bit. And then we get it all out of ourselves. We'll figure out what to do next. I love that. And I I believe in that too. Because even Bobby will sometimes be like, don't be so angry. I'm like, I'm running the emotion of anger. You have to get it out. You have to, you go through the different phases yes. and I'm never mean mm-hmm. in my anger, but I may have anger but there's and nothing, I have to let it out. But that's beautiful and that's yeah. fine. And that's the, that's the human experience. My anger, I'm fearful. I feel anxiety. There you go. I'm feeling like you have to recognize it. And yeah, like you said, like suppressing it doesn't do anything for you. Man, makes, it, makes it bigger. Yeah. Makes it fester. And then it's going to pop out and like the worst, like, unlikely places where you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Which is something I would do. I would kind of have these like blow-ups out of nowhere. And I really was like, okay, what's going on? (laughs) Yeah. But again, what I learned is like, we shouldn't be ashamed of our emotions. Our emotions tell us something. You Mm -hmm. know, another thing they taught us was like, never waste a trigger. Mm -hmm. So if something affected you or something hurt you or something made you upset or made you mad or made you sad— you can learn from it. It's an opportunity. It's an mm-hmm. opportunity to be like, I'm feeling it. Uh, why? Yeah. Don't suppress the trigger. There's don't a reason it. you yeah. are triggered. But it's a good sign of like, okay, some I got some more work to do. Let me go investigate it. Right. Because a trigger can be something in your body and in your mind that you haven't worked on enough. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing. It's just, it's still there. And you have, like you said, you have to work on and, it. And, you, and it, again, it out. lifelong process. It's, yeah. you know, and that's beautiful. But what I've learned is the old way of suppressing all my emotions or bottling it or just using it in my work mm-hmm. wasn't working. Yeah. I was hitting brick walls and I was hurting. I wasn't happy. And so this is the first time that I found a way that I can express myself and go through negative emotions and negative aspects in my life and not want to burn my house down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or burn it all down and be like, ah! It's like, oh, okay, I 
I have this awareness. Oh, I'm doing that again. Oh, interesting. Oh, that makes me mad. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay, got that out. I'm, you know, I hear you, Lindsay. I'm sorry. I forgive you. I forgive you for just being human. I forgive you for being affected by that. I forgive you for being triggered. I forgive you for having that reaction. And this is the last aspect of the cycle of transformation. It's a new way of being. What is a new way I can react to that situation or I can be in that situation? And you have this thing called your quadrinity, which Hoffman created, which is basically all aspects of yourself. It's like your intellect, your emotional child, your emotional self, your body physically, and then your spirit. And I'm spiritual. I've, I've, I've mm-hmm. always been spiritual, but I've really had like a deeper spiritual awakening these last two years. And I think it's in times of challenge <laughs> that happens. And again, I feel like, wow, what another beautiful, <laughs> I say beautiful, but a time of hard mm-hmm. turn that brought me closer to God, that brought me closer to my spirituality, that brought me closer to being truly connected to my higher self and my spiritual self. And so Hoffman believes like, you know, when all of your quadrinity is aligned, kind of like your chakras aligned, you are your best person, but you got to listen to all aspects. But ultimately, you know, you have like that voice inside of you that just like knows Mm -hmm, what to do. mm -hmm. That's what he calls your spirit, your spiritual Mm -hmm. self, your higher self that, and I'm, I think is like your soul, you know, that we all have that, that divine aspect of us inside of us all that speaks to us. That always knows what to do, but we don't listen. You know, you got to get really quiet. You got to get really, I, I talked about this last time. You got to start having self-intimacy with yourself, all aspects of yourself mm-hmm. to know who needs what and what kind of care. So he really teaches to get really connected to all aspects and make sure they're all taken care of. And then when you're deciding a new way of being, you kind of ask like your higher self, your spiritual self, what's a new way I can react to that? What's a better way, you know? And you'll get like a message. You'll hear that voice if you listen. And so what I found is when I am tapped into that, I kind of always know what to do. But again, it's having to quiet everything down and listen. And so for me, like meditation was such a huge new aspect of my life that's now a daily practice that I've just gone deeper, deeper, deeper into. Again, it's that um, reconnecting all aspects of myself quieting my mind, quieting any anxious thoughts or, or negativity and listening to my heart, you know? Yeah. What is your, because there's so many types of meditation. Mm-hmm. What is your practice like? So I first started using Deepak Chopra. Right. The 21 day app. Yeah. yeah. The 21 <laughs> day book. free abundance meditation he did with Oprah. It's on YouTube. I still listen to it almost every day. I have like my meditation group who we all like send it to each yeah. other and check in and and it's such a beautiful introduction to meditation mm-hmm. that I feel. And um, it's what I've utilized for a really long time. But I stumbled across Joe Dispenza's work. Mm-hmm. And Joe Dispenza is like master meditator, like on such a deeper, deeper, deeper level. And so I really like deep dived into his work. And it just kind of blown me open as far as like how beneficial meditation is to your health. and you know, this aspect of manifestation, but also this aspect of change and how much he basically says like what you put your energy, what you put your attention on is where your energy goes. So if you want to shift your energy, you need to shift your attention. And meditation is such a pivotal way for us to do that. And also if anyone who's struggling with like, you know, PTSD or 
basically negative like chemical imbalances in your brain, meditation is the only way to heal those synapses that are not like drug related. So meditation isn't just, let me just sit in a corner and say, oh, mm-hmm. it's rehabilitating your brain and body and healing you on a cellular level all at once. It is the best, I would say, homeopathic healing thing I have it's ever discovered. Same. And it's, but it's so powerful. Like, yeah. I don't even know if people realize how mm-hmm. powerful it is. And so I urge you like to go check out Joe Dispenza because he backs everything he does by science. So anyone who's like, I don't know, you're woo-woo, talking about your spirit, blah, blah, blah. I'm out. I don't believe in that. That's fine. Yeah. And Deepak is the same way. Right. Joe and Joe, we're on all on first, first <laughs> faces. <laughs> Joe, Deepak, Karina. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, bucket list. Go to one of Joe Dispenza's Yeah, you'll love it. Retreats. Have you been to one? Yes. So I, yeah. just, I did that also. And I got back from that about three weeks ago. <sighs> It's amazing. But it, it's it's hard. Yeah. You're meditating. I went from meditating from like 20 minutes a day to five hours a day. Yeah. Most it, I've done in a day is four hours. In silence. Mm, silence. That's great. Yeah. He calls it the monastery when you're at the retreat. Because yeah. essentially that is what you're doing. And that's what you're there to do. Yeah. But it's also… I remember like what was profound for me was the first two days, I'd get past like the 30-minute, 45-minute mark. And then I'd start feeling like itchy or like… Mm nauseous or like physically irritable, like angry. I mean, like, ah, I want to go and leave. And and he talks about overcoming the body and how you have to overcome the body, like with the power of your mind and the power of this meditation to really get to like these deeper brain waves that are very healing for your body. Yeah, it's true. So I was pre-pandemic. Bobby and I two or three times went to a retreat in, at Asilomar in like Monterey, California. Mm-hmm. And it was led by Kyle Cease. He was on the podcast um, like a month ago. But he is amazing. And I, I got it as a gift for Bobby for Christmas. Aww. And he was like, is Did this a like gift it? for me? We were driving <laughs> up, for you? <laughs> up through Big Sur and um, going to this retreat. He's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Why? This isn't even a gift for me. And then... <laughs> this isn't my gift. <laughs> Oh, what a better gift. Yeah. And then we get there. First two days, he's like, no, I, no, mm-hmm. this is too hard. Mm-hmm. Too hard. Mm-hmm. But you just sit there with yourself. And I always like what Kyle says. And I say this all the time. If you can't learn to sit with yourself in silence, how do you expect anyone else to sit with you? Mm. Yeah. And so by day three, Bobby was fully into it. And you do a whole bunch of, obviously, you know, different mm-hmm. practices and, and healing rituals and everything. And by day five, Bobby was like, how do we sign up for the next one? <laughs> you get addicted. You get addicted. It's, because I literally, the first time we went to that retreat, my stress levels and anxiety on a 1 to 10 were a 12. I left after that much meditation and just being present. I was at maybe, maybe a 1. I stopped breaking up. Huh? I was in Cancun. We were staying at the retreats like at this like all-inclusive hotel. So it's like buffet food and like, you know, Vegas-y restaurants. It was kind of funny. Um, (laughs) But like, again, I was still like struggling with my skin. And I started doing these deeper meditations, especially healing meditations. And I was Mm -hmm. really kind of fixating on like healing and healing like internally for my body. And then by day four, I wasn't breaking out. My skin was looking the best it ever had. And I was eating gluten and, you know, the 
ice cream, the soft serve ice cream, because that's my favorite, and like dessert and just, you know, all the things, dairy, all the things that I wasn't supposed to be having because it breaks me out, I was having. Mm-hmm. And my skin like never looked better. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. But that's, again, you know, that's just a physical aspect, but mentally and emotionally, I felt amazing. I had energy. I had so much energy. I was so happy. I felt like, again, you know, because when you're in the thick of it, you're in the muck of like stress or trauma or like your journey. And for me, like my healing journey was like, is this ever going to end? Is it ever going to get better? Like I was, it's hard in the trenches. And then after that, I was like, oh my gosh, the future is infinite. The possibilities are infinite. And how do you bring that home on a daily then? So that that's another one. Integration, same mm-hmm. with Hoffman. Integration is key and it's hard because right after Hoffman, I came home from Hoffman, I got super sick and mm-hmm. I was like, like I was on such a high. And mm-hmm. then I literally, like I was on such a like happy high. I like boarded the plane to go home because I was out in San Francisco. I left my carry-on in the terminal <laughs> I just walked onto the plane. You're just floating. With my phone <laughs> in my purse, but I had like a roller, left it. I didn't even notice till I was two hours in the flight. <laughs> I was like, wait, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> they had a FedEx in my bag. It was terrible. But again, I was on such a happy high yeah. of just like, oh, I feel free. Oh. I feel light. I feel true. I feel authentic. I feel beautiful. I feel happy. I feel happy. Just Mm -hmm. genuinely pure happy. And then I got sick. And then I remember um, my friend telling me, like, when your body goes through, like, kind of so much, like, emotional or traumatic release, like, you're you're able to capably, like, your mental, your mentality is able to understand it faster than your body is. Mm -hmm. And your body is, like, releasing so much. It's almost like getting really intense massages. Mm -hmm. So it's like your body has to detox. So from after Hoffman, that was that for me. But it kind of put a damper on my spirit. And then even after Joe's, I lost my voice. But that was interesting because I was clearing a lot of my throat Throat chakra. chakra. So then when I got my voice back, it was stronger. It was like, you know, more resonant. And so for me, what I've done, because it is hard, is I just make sure that meditation is somewhere in my day in my life because I know how important it is. And, you know, Joe has meditations that last for hours and meditations that are 15 minutes. So I try to do something that works with my time. I still do my Deepak meditation. I still now do my Hoffman has their like quadrinity check-ins where you just check in with yourself. So I try to do a mixture of of like Hoffman check-in with myself and then one of the meditations. And I try to start my day like that. And then if I have something challenging happening or I get really, really tired or really like cranky during the day, I try to do a meditation to kind of um, boost myself up. And I have like, I met some great friends at the retreat too who've kind of been like my like accountability Mm -hmm. group. And so we call them Medis. (laughs) And we're like, did you do your Medi? Yeah. (laughs) Or like, and we kind of check in and we talk about how it's been changing our life. And because he talks, a big thing Joe talks about is changing your frequency and Mm -hmm. how like you want to lift up your vibration to accept like higher vibrational things in your life. So if you want abundance, abundance is very high frequency. So you're not going to get abundance if you're like, oh, my life sucks and I hate myself. And Mm -hmm. you're in a low frequency. So you have to Mm -hmm. shift your energy. 
mentally and physically, you know, uh, in your magnetic field to like accept it. And so, you know, I've just been like experimenting with it, but it's wild. It's like when I'm kind of trapped in a low vibration, low, you know, frequency, negative things happen or just like eh, things. When I'm open to my fullest and believing in myself and believing in the future and the possibilities and that I deserve abundance and I'm, and I deserve, I deserve happiness. It's insane what gets magnetized to me. It's insane what happens. So that's the truth. Yeah. I'm just like such a big believer now. Definitely drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid. But, you know, even whatever abundance, whatever, you know, manifestation, just on a purely like healing level, I find it very beneficial for me and like my mental wellness. And by the end of the retreat, a big thing of Joe's work is healing. And you basically do these coherence healings where you are trying to heal people who have come to the retreat who have physical ailment, people Mm -hmm. with cancer, people who can't see people in wheelchairs, come to these retreats just to get healed on and get energy work healed on because everything is energy. It works. It works. But also, again, if you're like, I don't believe you, this isn't true, you're lying, woo, 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 go look at Joe's work. Mm -hmm. Everything he's done is backed by science. So even like me, who is very spiritual, there's times my brain was like, "Mm, I don't believe you. And it was so nice to have the data to be like, ah, there it is. There it is. And it's astounding. And they're just getting more and more and more data and more and more science and more research about how powerful that is, this is and what can happen. And people's testimonials who've been healed or have used these meditations to heal themselves is astounding. It's astounding. So have you gone back to work again? Are you still on I'm hiatus? I'm still, so I, I, I gave myself like a six month sabbatical where I wasn't okay. even like looking at anything. And I was just very focused on my healing and I wasn't even auditioning and and I kind of was like, you know, we'll take inventory at that six months. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I still feel like I still have work to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm still working on that. I'm feeling very optimistic about the future. But I'm still making my health the main priority right now. I love that. But I'm and giving, open. Yeah. And I love that and that you're giving yourself permission to do that. Because I last time yeah. we were here, you were in the beginning of that. And then you said it took like three months to even not have anxiety over... Oh, yeah. Not... Just that. Working. <laughs> no, just like yeah. the unwinding process from the hustle that I, and pressure I had. And lifestyle I'd, I'd given... I had put myself under of what I should be or what I should be doing or how I should go about my life. I had to just untangle all that. And I I didn't even think it was something I needed to untangle, but it was. And so now my perspective about everything has changed, but mostly about me and my future, about the importance of my health, Mm -hmm. physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and wellness and how life isn't just about, you know, working and, and being something Mm -hmm. or creating something or, you know, being someone in the world that's nothing. That's yeah. just so not important. I agree. It's your relationships, your love for self, those in your life, enjoying being present. Yes. Being living li- living life. Yeah. And having a life that you find worth living, you know, that you enjoy and that you love. And so I feel like I finally have begun to 
really create that without any external validation, like yeah. without any, you know, anyone from the industry or people in the world telling me I'm good enough or I'm worthy enough or, you know, I'm pretty enough or I'm talented enough. Like I don't have, I don't have any of that right now. You know, I got, I kind of got all that stripped away from me Yeah, and it was terrible at first, but now it brought me such a gift to where that validation isn't, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's internal validation. It's what I feel about myself. What's I think about myself. It's what it's about me in my opinion. And I can see if you choose to go back, like you're going to set those boundaries. <laughs> you're going to be like, this is what I want. This yeah. is what good is good for me. This is what I yeah. like about the role. I'm going to say no to this. Yes to yes. this. Um, because you've done the work. And I can see you sitting here five months later, the confidence the that thing. you have because you had your fiance here last mm-hmm. time and you kept looking to him mm-hmm. and being like, Stop me if I say something that I shouldn't say. Is this okay? Am I okay? Did I do okay? Mm -hmm. And now you're sitting here with this renewed confidence. And I Mm -hmm. see that because of the work. And I think it's so important for everyone to know that. Like, just do the work. Yeah. But again, it's like, I didn't know where to start. Yeah. I didn't know what work I was supposed to be doing. And I was kind of like, blah, like everything at the wall. And was like, I go to therapy. Like, what's the big deal? But, you know, it for me, Again, to reiterate, I hadn't taken the proper recovery times in my journey that I needed to. And I didn't have the tools with me to process negative emotions and and trauma, physical and emotional and mental, that my entire life had just been backing up and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, yes, you know, you got to do the work. But again, I urge people to do what I did. And that was be a detective. Mm -hmm. Like I had to put I didn't get an answer from one thing. I didn't go to one doctor, one therapist, and they fix everything. I had to go to like 25. And, you know, I feel very grateful that I had the means to do that. And so, you know, I feel for people who don't always have the time or the financial space or resources to do that. But I also urge you to keep looking because what I found in my journey too is there's so there's so many resources available like that are for free mm-hmm. or people who have financial burdens. Like Hoffman gives about half a million dollars worth of like scholarships a year. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because my next question was yeah. if you're on a budget and mm-hmm. financial or time, mm-hmm. what can you do? Well, Hoffman's also really great for time because yeah. it is one week. But their findings are what you do in that week, the breakthroughs you have is the basically equivalence to two to five years of therapy. Yeah. So for someone like me who was like, I'm working always and I don't know my schedule. I don't know when I'm free, you know, and I would try to, and I would do therapy while I was working, but sometimes I'd cancel or be too tired or like, you know, a million excuses. You are forced to be in this bubble And then by the end of it, you don't want to leave. Yeah. So it is really beautiful. So again, I feel like that is amazing. I feel like getting an inventory of your health is Mm -hmm. important. So I didn't even know what was going on with me until I started doing blood tests and blood panels. I did hair analysis. I did Mm -hmm. heavy metal uh, tests. I did a neurotransmitter test, Uh which was very fascinating because it just showed me the chemical breakdown of what's even happening in my brain right now. If I was like 
because I was like struggling with my happiness. And, you know, it's like, what is this? Fascinating everything that it taught me. All my findings from that was fascinating. And it started to give me the markers of where to go and, and how to heal and how to be my best self. And, you know, that too, it can be expensive, but also there are financial ways you can work it out with your insurance. And even if you don't have insurance, there are ways like every test I took was probably about $300. So Mm. again, maybe you can't do everything all at once, but again, talking to your physician, talking to a doctor that can be in your network. And also I really recommended like a holistic doctor Mm -hmm. um, because that helped me a lot too, just finding more holistic ways too, and not necessarily always going the Western old school avenue, you know, because again, it's like, you know, no hate, but like, I had a bad experience with Western medicine. I had a, I was put on this acne medication that really affected my hormones and mm-hmm. helped my acne and then spiraled out my hormones, Yeah, you know, which yeah. I'm still something I'm having my body rehabilitate. So it's like, again, doing your research, looking for just the first answer, like you got to go deep and, and finding things. And what I find too is when you're open to it and you're w- willing to put in the work and you're trusting in in God or the universe or trusting that because I'm willing to get help and be better, things will be put in your path. Like I like what astounds me is the network of people I met that just by happenstance that pointed me in this direction or said, read this book or look at this YouTube video or mm-hmm. listen to this meditation. All my meditations are free. Yeah. All of them are on YouTube. That yeah. You can download for free. Free meditations on YouTube. Um and also, you were talking about being in a group setting and like you've gone to Al-Anon and Co- mm-hmm. Coda. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yes, that was another great thing I forgot. So like support groups, you know, yeah. and this was a, a bigger aspect of my life when I was in the beginning phases of my, of my healing, I'd mm-hmm. say, because again, I didn't even know what I was doing or what mm-hmm. I needed to heal. And so support groups for what you're going through, if you have you know, anyone in your sphere that is struggling with substance abuse, you have Al-Anon, which can help you understand what they're going through and also understand how you're being affected by it. And also I was going to CODA, which is Codependence Anonymous. And codependency is kind of a physical trait. You can, you can happens to a lot of people that are caretaking for others who are struggling or who are hurting. And um, again, just understanding these aspects of myself and what I was going through and what I needed to work on. But again, it's like these support groups are all free. They meet almost every day. Like if you need to talk, if you need help, like there are resources there, there are avenues there and they are at our fingertips and all it takes is a Google search and just don't give up on yourself. Yeah. And the other one is NAMI. Um, yeah, you went to that, right? Yeah, National Alliance of Mental Illness. Bobby and I went to the Family to Family, which mm-hmm. is for those family members who have a family member who struggles from mental health, illness, mm-hmm. disease. And then they have Peer to Peer, which mm-hmm. is for those who are themselves struggling. So we'll put all the resources. There's a ton of resources on the bigsilence.com on the resource mm-hmm. page, but we will mention on the show notes for this podcast all the books that you yeah. mentioned. And Coda, Alanon, Nami, those links right, where right. you can get a free support group. Yeah. It's a great place to start. 
Um, it's a fantastic place. And, yeah. you know, it's scary. It's scary. It's so scary. It's so scary. And, like, luckily I had friends that brought me to each of my kind of intro to support groups. And um, and I wasn't, you know, I was silent my first mm-hmm. couple meetings. And then I finally worked up the courage to share. And, you know, it's just, again, it's like you're never alone. Yeah. You know, even in your deepest, darkest, you feel like you're alone or you feel like, oh, the, you know, everything is dark and grim and there's no way out of this. And you're, it's just wrong. Yeah. You're never alone. And there's never nothing that can't be healed. Yeah. And that's what I have learned. And that, I think, is my biggest takeaway. And what I want to share with the world is that there is hope. There is hope. And there is hope. You are loved out yes. there. And you deserve your yes. best life. You deserve, And you deserve it. You deserve to be happy, to be healed, to feel loved and be loved because you're worth it. Yeah. And coming from two women here who have been to the very bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. <laughs> but then know what it feels like to be, mm-hmm. I don't want to say it at the top, but have those moments of feeling like this is life. But right. then also recognizing that not every day is going to be up yep. here. Mm-hmm. And if you have a day, it's okay. You okay. wake up and you do your best. Yeah. You wake up and you show up for yourself, you yeah. know, because again, you're worth it. And the more I've been showing up for myself and again, making hard decisions or making really bold moves or being honest and being authentic and sharing my truth, my life is only getting better. Mm-hmm. But it's doing the work again, like you said, doing the hard things and being true to myself and what I need. And sometimes what I need is not what you need. And that's yeah. perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But I do need to take care of me first. Yeah. It's very important. It's the only thing. <laughs> do that first. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for this amazing conversation and officially breaking the record for the longest Big Silence podcast. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I feel like we go longer, too. I know. We'll have Lindsay back yep. for part two. <laughs> Part 15. Yeah. The trilogy. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank so you, Karina. Thank you so much. And thank you again for what you're doing in the world because you're making such a profound impact. Yeah. And you just breaking your silence and being so vulnerable and wise and sharing what you've been going through will change so many lives. I hope so. Many. so. I, I hope that, you know, my stories can just help someone one person it's all that matters all right right. namaste (laughs) thank you for joining us today and every wednesday if you or anyone you know needs help now text hero to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor our crisis text line is private and confidential If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it.
Here's to radical self-love. The type of love that will defeat anxiety. The type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in to be who you already are. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out.